Church, thank you for being a church engaged in missions. Uh, Thank you for being a congregation that wants to see the gospel of Jesus taken to uh, the nations of the world. Um, As of the last few days, or or as of last Sunday, over the last number of weeks, you have given uh, nearly $34,000 to the Lottie Moon uh, Christmas offering that goes 100% to support uh, our missionaries Uh, Nearly 4,000 of them, Southern Baptist missionaries to the IMB that are serving in some of the most difficult and unreached places across the globe. And uh, these $34,000 are represented by the various international flags left on our one uh, remaining Christmas tree uh, outside of uh, the elevator. But church, these are folks, these missionaries, they represent us. Uh, more importantly than that, they represent the Lord. They are ambassadors of Jesus Christ, but they represent us, and they're spending their lives telling folks that uh, our Lord is mighty and that he is matchless, that he is the sovereign God over all, and he is the God who saves. And so this morning I want to ask you, do, do you know him? Do you know this God? Do, do you know the King of kings and Lord of lords, the one Uh, who rules and reigns on high, the one who is majestic and splendid and sovereign and yet cares immensely for you and for me. Do you know the Lord? Well, this morning we jump back into God's Word. We'll be in the book of Exodus, the second book of the Bible. And as we jump back into uh, Exodus, my prayer uh, for today is that we come to know Him and come to know Him Him more. We're in Exodus chapter 7. If you're visiting with us, we... Uh, return to a series through the book of Exodus, this important portion of God's Word last Sunday, and we'll continue in it over the next uh, number of, of weeks, seeking to hear from, from the Lord. Uh, we, we've been tracking God's plans for His people, recorded here uh, about His, his call, uh, His deliverance some 3,500 years ago. But I want you to know, church, that His plans that, be, uh, that, uh, that were carried out through Moses Delivering his people from slavery in Egypt began long before that. Uh, and there are plans that extend long beyond that to the coming of Jesus Christ. And even beyond that to today and even beyond today to his second coming and forevermore. And perhaps you know the story. I won't take long to, to recap it. But here's the uh, sort of the 10,000 foot version. Remember that God had called a man named Abraham to, to, to trust him and to go with him. Uh, to leave his land and his homeland, to go to another nation, to settle in another land, a land that God was going to give Abraham for his offspring. And his offspring would become numerous. They would become a mighty nation. And through his offspring, all nations of the earth uh, would be blessed. And here we are some 400 years or so later. And uh, in Exodus, the book of Exodus, this has not quite taken shape or form. Abraham's offspring, the Hebrews, the Israelites, are numerous Uh, But they are not in a land that is their own land. They are not yet blessing all the nations of of the earth. And so God calls uh, a man, Moses, to go and to be deliverer. God uh, says to Moses through the burning bush experience, he says, I I am the Lord. uh, And I've heard the groaning of my people. I've remembered my covenant, my promise to them. And I am going to deliver them. And Moses, guess what? You are the man I'm sending to be my agent in that task. And Moses uh, cries out in protest is no, no, not me, Lord. I cannot do this. That sounds like a terrible thing to do. Certainly I am not up to the task. You must have the wrong person, but God continues to convince Moses. And finally, Moses trusts the Lord and Moses goes, and Moses goes and he confronts the king known as the Pharaoh in Egypt and Pharaoh refuses to let his people go. And so God sends him with, with signs 
that become the plagues. And this is where we pick up the story today. And so today we pick up this story of this mighty and matchless God who is intent on rescuing his people from their slavery to a wicked king in a pagan land where by and large people do not know him and do not worship him. And so let me invite you to join me in returning to this story. And as you find your place in Exodus chapter 7, let me ask you to join me standing, whether in body or in spirit, for the reading of God's holy word. We've got a tall task today. We're going to aim to look at the first three of these Plagues, but we're going to begin with number one. And so we're going to read chapter seven of Exodus verses 14 through 24. So hear the word of the Lord. Bible says, then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is unyielding. He refuses to let the people go. So go to Pharaoh in the morning as he goes out into the river, confront him on the bank of the Nile and take in your hand the staff that was changed into a snake. Says, then say to him. The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has sent me to say to you, let my people go so that they may go and worship me in the wilderness. But until now, you have not listened. This is what the Lord says. By this, you will know that I am the Lord. With a staff that is in my hand, I will strike the water of the Nile and it will be changed into blood. The fish in the Nile will die and the river will stink. The Egyptians will not be able to drink its water. Verse 19, the Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron... Take your staff and stretch out your hand over the waters of Egypt, over the streams and canals, over the ponds and all the reservoirs, and they too will be turned to blood. Blood will be everywhere in Egypt, even in vessels of wood and stone. Moses and Aaron did just as the Lord had commanded. He raised his staff in the presence of Pharaoh and his officials and struck the water of the Nile, and all the water was changed into blood. The fish in the Nile died, and the river smelled so bad that the Egyptians could not drink its water. Blood was everywhere in Egypt. But the Egyptian magicians did the same things by their secret arts. And Pharaoh's heart became hard. He would not listen to Moses and Aaron just as the Lord had said. Instead, he turned and went into his palace and did not take even this to heart. And all the Egyptians dug along the Nile to get drinking water because they could not drink the water of the river. Would you bow with me? Father, this is your word. This is your story. Help us understand it. Help us to apply it. Speak to us. For we are listening. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, here it is. The first plague. Water to blood. And and I have to be honest. If we're honest, we've got to admit that these plagues are a bit strange. This is bizarre stuff. I mean, really, what is God up to? God, what are you what are you doing? What are you proving? What is he proving? Is he mad? Is this some sort of knee jerk reaction? Is God just fed up and lashing out at Pharaoh and all those in Egypt? The answer is no. There's more than that going on here. Certainly God is exercising his judgment against the Egyptians. But this is bigger than that. In fact, God is revealing his might and his character. He's revealing who he is. God is setting himself apart as superior to any God of Egypt or to any God anywhere. You see, God is declaring himself to be the only God. But in this case, he is specifically 
revealing his supremacy over the plethora of gods that were worshipped in ancient Egypt. And a number of authors and commentators and scholars state that there were about 80 major deities in Egypt. You see, God was teaching Pharaoh, he was teaching Egypt, he was teaching all of the Israelites that he alone is almighty, that he is the almighty maker of heaven and earth, and he wants all to know that he is mighty and matchless. God wants all to know that he is mighty and matchless. He wants us to know who he is. I have no doubt that you've heard and hopefully prayed for the situation that's unfolding or has unfolded over the last number of days, couple of weeks in the Middle East, particularly between tensions in Iran and between Iran and America and some other nations of the world. And church, let's continue praying for that circumstance. Let's be a people who pray that the Lord would guide and that he would humble and that he would protect and that he would bring peace in the midst of tumult. But imagine hearing this. Imagine hearing one day that oil supplies to America have suddenly been cut off. Uh, and the stock market has crashed and grocery stores are in short supply and most of our nation's drinking water uh, has been contaminated. That'd be terrible. We'd all be in a panic. We'd be unsettled and perhaps we would all rush to uh, whatever, whatever available supply stores were left, whatever grocery stores were left, and we'd begin to stock up basic items just like when James Spann says it's going to snow in Alabama, right? Well, church, this is how Egypt must have felt When plague number one went down, you see, the Nile River was the lifeblood of the land. It was central to Egypt's economy. It was its primary source of irrigation, probably its primary source of drinking water and perhaps food and travel. And even more so, it was worshipped. In fact, there were at least three different false gods that were connected to the Nile River itself. You see, for Egypt, the Nile meant life. And now Yahweh, the the Lord God, conveys that the gods of the Nile are no match for him. He rules over the Nile. And even more than that, he controls all that the Nile provides. God is declaring in Egypt that he alone is the God who sustains life. Only God sustains life. Ultimately, only God sustains life. Last week, we looked at uh, the few verses just prior to this, sort of a, a transition piece where uh, Moses and Aaron go before Pharaoh and they perform signs in an effort to get Pharaoh to let God's people go. And uh, Aaron throws down the staff and it becomes a snake and magicians in Egypt follow suit. And then Aaron's rod swallows up their uh, their rods, their, their, uh, their snakes, their cobras. And I mentioned a fourfold, fourfold pattern uh, that is present in that account that's also uh, repeated time and time again through the plagues. And the first uh, mark in this pattern is obedience. Moses and Aaron do this and they obey. The second mark is of God's superiority, taking on the gods of Egypt. The third mark then is the counterfeit signs, a counterfeit attempt, and sometimes signs that accompany the wise men and the sorcerers and the Egyptian magicians as they try to imitate God's power. And then lastly, fourthly, Pharaoh's hard heart. His unwillingness to submit. And we see all four of these in this particular plague. This time the Egyptian magicians mimic the sign somehow, some way. We don't know how. Perhaps by the power of Satan they also turn water to blood. Impressive though as that may be, it is of no help 
The waters in Egypt remain blood. The fish in the river die. In verse 24, all the Egyptians dug along the Nile to get drinking water because they could not drink the water of the Nile. They're in a predicament. A situation of of desperation for not even the Egyptian magicians could cleanse the river of blood. Only God could do this. Have you ever discovered that uh, that that you, you have you ever discovered that uh, you can't do something on your own? Have you ever discovered? Have you ever recognize your own limitations that you're not in control of something that you're uh, attempting? I'll be honest. Once again, this is sort of a petty example from everyday life, but uh, I, I realized that again this morning. I don't know what Sundays are like at your house. Sunday mornings at the Jones house can be a little bit chaotic. Not always. Every morning's a bit chaotic. But uh, Sunday mornings there seems to be a little bit extra uh, going on. And so uh, dad usually wakes up pretty early and begins uh, some time in the word and gets, gets ready for church. And then when I have an opportunity, if I have time, I wake up the kids, uh, attempt to get them some breakfast and, uh, and even make a first attempt. And you'll hear why in a moment. A first attempt to get uh, their clothes picked out for Sunday, Sunday morning. And so I was feeling pretty good this morning. I'll be honest. I was feeling like super dad. I've done it. All the kids have their dress. Their hair's not fixed. Teeth aren't brushed. None of that. But they've got food in their dress. I'm out the door. Uh, See you soon, honey. Pull into the church parking lot and I receive a text uh, from someone who will remain nameless (laughs) that read this way. And I quote, really? Question mark. A shirt with Christmas trees on Eli. I didn't know trees were on that shirt. I responded. I only saw trucks on the shirt. Sorry. And she responded. You claim that when you put that same shirt on him in October. Nice try. I'm not super dad. I have limitations, even when I make attempts to do the right thing, to do the best thing. And likewise, no doubt here, these magicians, the moment they turn water to blood, they must be feeling pretty good about themselves. Yeah, we can do this too. Pharaoh begins to relax until he realizes that They can do nothing about the situation from this day forward. Only God could reverse this. Only God could cleanse the river of blood. Only God sustains life. So friend, trust the Lord to provide for your needs. Trust the Lord to provide for your needs. Trust the one who sustains life. What or who are you trusting to provide for your needs? Are you trusting in yourself? Perhaps your personal skills or your ingenuity, your wisdom... Are you trusting in your ability to succeed, successes from the past? Are you trusting in the stock market? What are you trusting in to sustain your life? Trust in the Lord to provide for your needs. He sustains life for all life is ultimately in his hands. Church, he is the one that provides fresh water and sunlight for the earth's vegetation. He is the only one who gives predator and prey just what they need to survive. The psalmist recounts this in Psalm 104, verse 27. He says, all creatures look to you, God. All of creation, everything that you have made, they look to you to give them their food at the proper time. When you give it to them, they gather it up. When you open your hand, they are satisfied with good things. When you hide your face, they are terrified. 
When you take away their breath, they die and return to the dust. When you send your spirit, they are created and you renew the face of the ground. Friends, Yahweh alone is God. He alone is the one who sustains life. The one who called Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. The one who appeared to Moses and instructed him to confront Pharaoh. And the one who calls you and who calls me to trust him to provide for all of our needs. One God who sustains life. Well, that's not all that he does. The story continues. Let's look at plague number two. Chapter seven of Exodus, verse 25, the story goes on. Seven days passed after the Lord struck the Nile. Chapter 8, then the Lord said to Moses, go to Pharaoh and say to him, this is what the Lord says, let my people go so that they may worship me. If you refuse to let them go, I will send a plague of frogs on your whole country. The Nile will teem with frogs. They will come up into your palace and your bedroom and on your bed and in the house of your officials and on your people and into your ovens and kneading troughs, the frogs will come up on you and your people and all your officials. And the Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron, stretch out your hand with your staff over the streams and canals and ponds and make frogs come up on the land of Egypt. So Aaron stretched out his hand over the waters of Egypt and the frogs came up and covered the land. But the magicians did the same things by their secret arts. They also made frogs come up on the land of Egypt. Verse 8, Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, Pray to the Lord to take the frogs away from me and my people, and I will let your people go to offer sacrifices to the Lord. Moses said to Pharaoh, I will leave to you the honor of setting the time for me to pray for you and your officials and your people that you and your houses may be rid of the frogs except for those that remain in the Nile. Tomorrow, Pharaoh said. Moses replied, It will be as you say, So that you may know that there is no one like the Lord our God. The frogs will leave you and your houses, your officials and your people. They will remain only in the Nile. After Moses and Aaron left Pharaoh, Moses cried out to the Lord and the frogs he had brought about the frogs he had brought on Pharaoh. And the Lord did what Moses asked. The frogs died in the houses, in the courtyards, in the fields. They were piled into heaps and the land reeked of them. But when Pharaoh saw that there was relief, he hardened his heart and would not listen to Moses and Aaron just as the Lord it said, see now frogs covered the land. Plague number two. And even here this fourfold pattern repeats itself. Obedience, Moses and Aaron do this and they obey. God's superior power over all of creation and the land and the gods of Egypt. An effort at counterfeit signs and Pharaoh's hard heart. Anybody scared of frogs? If so, you're not willing to admit it, right? I mean, frogs are not very scary unless they're everywhere. And that's the picture here. Frogs absolutely everywhere in bedrooms and on beds and kitchens and in ovens and bowls of food and on people, even on Pharaoh, the king himself. They were everywhere. And like the Nile, frogs were sacred in Egypt. Both frogs and the Nile were symbols of fertility. And according to one commentator, frogs were so sacred that Egyptians were prohibited from killing them. This is because there was an Egyptian goddess, Haket, that was often portrayed with the head of a frog and sometimes with the body of a frog, apparently controlling the frog population. Haket was supposedly the spouse of the creator god in Egypt, which meant that she gave life, she breathed life into the human bodies that he fashioned on his potter's will. Of course, we know this is not true. 
But even today, frogs are symbols of life. If you grew up near a body of water, near a pond or a lake, then you knew when frogs were present. Hear them croak, hear them hop, see them hop. And when you did, you knew that there were other forms of life there. Fish, snakes, bugs. Remember once or twice as a kid going frog gigging with my grandfather. Anybody ever been frog gigging? Imagine a few folks. We are here in Alabama. But I remember after a night of success. And this, by the way, I I highly recommend this. Particularly for young boys. I remember after a night of success coming back and thinking, who knew there were so many bullfrogs in that little pond teeming with life. Well, here in Egypt, they are everywhere. The land is teeming with frogs. God was declaring that no frog God or any other God gives life. Only God gives life. Only God creates life. Only God creates life. In fact, to dig a little bit deeper, the word used in the Old Testament often for create, bara in Hebrew, According to the creation account and other places in the Old Testament is a word that is only used of God in the Old Testament. Friends, only God creates life. And even so, once again, the Egyptian magicians, verse 7, did the same things by their secret arts. But of course, this just made matters worse. This was not a solution. They couldn't rid the land of them. Only God could do this. And he had... He did. At the very moment, Moses cried out to the Lord to rid the land of the frogs. And like this plague, the psalmist reminds us that God is the giver of life. Psalm 104, verse 24. How many are your works, Lord? In wisdom, you made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. They're yours. All the creatures are yours, God. There's the sea, vast and spacious, teeming with creatures beyond number. Living things, both large and small. There the ships go to and fro in Leviathan, which you formed a frolic there. You see, church, because the mighty and matchless God of the Bible is the only one who ultimately sustains life and the only one who ultimately creates life, we would be foolish not to submit to him and serve him. So submit and serve him. Submit and serve this God. That's the appropriate response to seeing who he is, seeing his power and his might. He is the Lord God Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth. At this point, Moses is ready. He's ready to submit and to serve the Lord. He's trusting in the Lord, but Pharaoh is not. King of Egypt is only giving false impressions of submission. In fact, chapter 8, verse 9, he says to Moses and Aaron, pray to God and take these things away from me and I'm going to let you go. Worship your God. Okay. Pharaoh says, I surrender. Your God is greater and I'll let you go. Worship him. Just get rid of these frogs for me. Then verse 15, Pharaoh saw that there was relief. He hardened his heart and would not listen. He buckles down in his pride. And church, let's not miss that Pharaoh's response is a warning to us. Pharaoh's response is a warning to us and to whosoever reads or hears this story. A reminder that God sees straight through false submission. God is not tricked. A false promise of faith and obedience will not bring salvation. True repentance and faith must flow from the heart. So friend, how's your heart? Does the Lord have your heart? Are you trusting Him? 
Has he captured your will? Do you desire to follow after him, to submit to him, and to, to serve him? He wants your heart, and if he has your heart, then you will be set on submitting to him and serving him. We see a right response elsewhere in Scripture, a number of places, to the word of God. But one such place is Acts chapter 2. It's a story of Pentecost and Peter and the apostles preaching at Pentecost. And remember that this is a celebration of religious Jews gathered in Jerusalem only weeks after Jesus has been crucified. He's been raised from the dead. Now he's ascended back to heaven and Jesus stands up before the people. He's emboldened by the spirit of God and he begins preaching to them. He begins laying into them saying, you guys messed up. The Messiah was here, the son of God and savior of the world was here and you killed him. Acts chapter 2, verse 36, he says, Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. Verse 37 of Acts 2, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. They said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? How can we make this right? We recognize our error and we want to make this right. Peter responds, he says, repent, be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Cut to the heart. They aren't hardened against the Lord and his word. They're cut to the heart. They're penetrated. They feel conviction by the spirit of God for their sins against God and they repent. They turn away from sin and they turn toward the Savior. Friend, have you repented? Have you turned away from sin and toward the Savior Jesus Christ, have you received forgiveness in him? Pharaoh did not. Pharaoh would not. And so the plagues kept coming. Exodus 8, verse 16. Final plague we'll read about this morning. The Bible says, And the Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron, stretch out your staff and strike the dust of the ground, and throughout the land of Egypt the dust will become gnats. They did this, and when Aaron stretched out his hand with a staff and struck the dust of the ground, gnats came on people and animals. All the dust throughout the land of Egypt became gnats. But when the magicians tried to produce gnats by their secret arts, they could not. Since the gnats were on people and animals everywhere, the magicians said to Pharaoh, This is the finger of God. But Pharaoh's heart was hard, and he would not listen, just as the Lord had said. I doubt I have to convince you that gnats are annoying. There's a bit of debate about what this particular word here is referring to. What kind, what kind of, of insect, what kind of gnat-like creature. Some say it was lice, some mosquitoes, some sand fleas. But in any event, all of these, if there are too many of them, they are annoying. Swarming everywhere, they were inescapable. And perhaps the presence of these pests formed from the dust of the ground was an attack on Egypt's earth god. And this time, the magicians are unable to imitate this act. They declare to Pharaoh the king, this is the finger of God. We cannot do this. God has done this. Friends, only God sustains life. Only God creates life. And only God rules over all life. Only God rules over all creation. He is the God of the whole world. Egypt's gods were no match for the God of the Hebrews. Because Egypt's gods were no gods at all. There is only one God, and he is the Lord of all the earth. In Psalm 104, the psalmist continues in his praise. In verse 31, he says, May the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in his works. He who looks at the earth and it trembles and touches the mountains and they smoke. In other words, he rules over all creation and I've seen it and I want to worship you. May you be exalted. 
Church, only God rules over all creation. So see his mighty hand across the earth. See his mighty hand throughout his creation. Look at what he's done. I think I've said before, and I'll probably say it again. Get outside. Look at what God has made. Study it. Notice the contours of the land, the ridges and the valleys, the towering trees and the pounding waves of the ocean. See the cattle and the pastures, the hawk pouncing upon its prey, the ants carrying away your garbage. God's hand is mighty across the earth. Notice who he is and what he's done. There is no one like our God, and he wants us to know him. This is why he was working miracles across Egypt. Friend, this is why he was executing judgment in that land upon Pharaoh and his false gods. God works miracles and he executes judgment so we may know that he alone is Lord. He wants us to know him. He, he works miracles and he executes judgments because he wants to be known and he invites us to know him. Do you know him? Do you know the Lord? Do you know this one who is mighty and, and matchless? This one who is majestic and splendid. Do you know him? This book, the Bible as a whole, certainly the book of Exodus, this story is clear that God's desire was for his people to know that he is Lord and to respond by worshiping him. In fact, look back at the text. Go on a journey with me. The last couple chapters, Exodus chapter 6, verse 6, God says to Moses, he says, therefore, say to the Israelites, I am the Lord. This is who I am. Chapter 6, verse 7, he says, Then you will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out. Chapter 6, verse 8, he says, And I will bring you to the land I swore with uplifted hand to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. Chapter 7, verse 5, he says, And the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. Chapter 7, verse 17, By this, (coughs) this is what the Lord says to Pharaoh. By this, you will know that I am the Lord. Chapter 8, verse 10, Moses replies to Pharaoh. He says, it will be as you say, so that you may know that there is no one like the Lord our God. Chapter 8, verse 19, the magicians say to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. Friends, God works miracles and he executes judgments so we may know, so the world may know that he is Lord. So friend, know and worship him. Know and worship the Lord. The scriptures are an invitation from God to know him. To bow before him. To trust in him. To repent and turn away from a life of sin that ultimately has earned us condemnation. And to receive life in and through Jesus Christ our Lord. Know him and worship him. Chapter 7 verse 16. God says to say to Pharaoh, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews has sent me to say to you, let my people go. Why? So that they may worship me. Chapter eight, verse one. Then the Lord says to Moses, go to Pharaoh and say to him, this is what the Lord says. Let my people go so that they may worship me. No one worshiped the Lord. Friends, this is why he performed wonders in Egypt. This is why he called Abraham to go. This is why he instructed Moses to go. And this is why the psalmist sings, I will sing to the Lord all my life. I will sing praise to my God as long as I live. Psalm 104, verse 34, May my meditation be pleasing to him as I rejoice in the Lord. May I praise him for who he is and what he's done. And friends, this is why we gather for church. 
This is why we open the scriptures and recount God's story of deliverance. In Egypt, some 3,500 years ago, and at Calvary, some 2,000 years ago, where Jesus, our Savior, broke the grip and the guilt of sin upon us through his body and blood shed on the cross in our place. And friend, this is why you are here today, to hear of him and to hear from him, that you and I might know this one who is mighty and matchless. Do you know him? Friend, do you know the Lord? May you know And worship the Lord now and forevermore. Father, we pray that that would be true of us. Lord, that we would be a people that respond to your invitation to know you. Lord, that we would be a people, young and old, men and women, boys and girls, who who hear your call, your invitation to be forgiven of all of our sins. Lord, to be reconciled into a right relationship with you. To know you now, to worship you now, and to live with you and for you forever. Lord, may we be a people who know and worship you. And make much of you. And spend our lives that others may know and worship the King of kings, the Lord of lords, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Father, lead us now as we respond to the truths of your word, as we sing your praises as we confess our sin, or as we repent and follow Jesus. Lead us to that end for your glory. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.